tobacco leaf has culinary uses as well. It's interesting. There's there's some chefs uh, that you know utilize molecular gastronomy and different ingredients who will take the tobacco and boil it in water to extract some of the flavor. And then yeah. take some of the leaves and some of the water. And one one popular recipe, and you, you can find a recipe for this, uh, is uh, ice cream, tobacco ice cream. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you have to be very careful because you can easily have a spoonful of ice cream and get ten milligrams of nicotine. A very very small amount of tobacco necessary for this. And then I, I had a, a dinner guest at my house a couple of weeks ago, and he does uh, with his tobacco. He makes a, a finely ground cacao paste out of it, mm-hmm. and you just take a little little tiny bit, like on the end of a toothpick, it, you know, just as almost like a pick me up. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is human performance consultant, speaker, and author, Ben Greenfield. Hello, everybody. Today, we get to spend some time with my buddy, Ben Greenfield, who generally needs no introduction. Ben is one of the most well-referenced health and fitness experts in the world and has been in countless documentary movies. Ben and I have been friends for many years now and have been featured on each other's podcast, multiple times so we can explore life and share with each other and our audiences. Ben just released his new book, Fit Soul, Tools, Tactics, and Habits for Optimizing Spiritual Fitness. And I wanted to explore some of these concepts of his new book with him, but Ben had so many interesting questions and concepts to explore with me in this, a joint podcast for each of our shows, that we only got to touch on it in the end. In this episode, Ben and I continue dialoguing on our concerns for the children of the world and how we can parent them to be prepared for the inevitable. Ben was very interested to learn the system of learning that I use. He wanted to know how it is that I can recall and apply so much information, which I thought was a funny question coming from Ben Greenfield, Mr. Encyclopedic Mind himself. We had a great conversation, and I shared the model of learning that I use and the various methods I use to learn efficiently. As with all my podcasts with Ben, This podcast is interesting, timely, and has important concepts and tips in it that everyone can benefit from. Enjoy my dialogue with Ben Greenfield, one of the true health and fitness pioneers of our day. I think you enjoy a good smoke anytime. Yeah. Yeah. A fly just came Mm -hmm. in the room. I need to smoke. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Welcome to the rainbow, buddy. My heartbeat. Give me a smoke. The rainbow is gorgeous. Your, Your last house, the heaven house, was amazing. Thank but you. the energy here, as we've been talking about with the biogeometry setup that you have, which I'm actually very interested in, I'm, in, I'm infatuated with this concept compared to painting every wall in your house with Faraday paint and hanging cages around the bed. I, I, I think there's something to the biogeometry concept mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, everything from the, you, you, you would probably do a better job explaining it than I up for, for the listeners, but you know, the, this house, you call it the rainbow house. Yeah. 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 The, um, the biogeometry, when, when did you add that component to it? Oh, I'd say, oh, we had it when we moved in cause we had it at our Vista house. So we brought mm-hmm. it with us. Um, I would imagine we've had it for maybe a year, but you know, it's just they, because our Vista house, there's 5g there. So I could, I really, Thought yeah. we needed it there because I hated the 5G and there's no 5G here. So thank God for that. Um, but I, my first experience was I was actually doing a healing ceremony with a buddy of mine who's, um, he had already done the first level of biogeometry training and he's my, my longest running client, Jer, Jer, uh, Jason Picard. And we were mm-hmm. doing a, 
healing ceremony, and he was he, he wanted to trick me and see if I would notice anything. So we were getting ready to do a ceremony out by the waterfall, and he had put it down on the ground. And I walked out the door carrying a, a basket full of blankets and stuff. And the instant I walked out the door, I felt just like I was in the cave I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. And I looked right at him. I said, what'd you do out here, man? Because the energy is wickedly calm and centering right now. And he smiled at me and laughed and pointed to the ground and the cube was on the ground. I said, that's happening because the, of that little cube? The small, tiny glass, I believe it's glass, the, the biogeometry yeah. cube that's in your office yes. beside us. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, I don't know if it's made of glass. It might be made yeah. of a high-end plexiglass, but it's got... I don't know how many, but I think there's potentially even a hundred different biogeometry signatures that are lasered inside of it. So as the energy moves through, it is affected by the laser signatures. The the cube itself, though, mm -hmm. is not the only component. Like, no. like I noticed that you have special tape under some of the other geometric shapes yeah, that were already in your office, and then there's stakes outside. Yeah, there's a number of things. There's attachments for power outlets like your your uh, fuse mm -hmm. box and for the inlet for the water mains to the house so that the water coming in is getting biogeometry put right into the water right through the pipe and the the whole house has been done with what's called object rotation so you can actually rotate any object until it produces bg3 by just basically like tuning a radio dial what's bg3 um bg3 is um BG3 is centering energy. So it's what it's the same energy that is produced by all the healing sites around the world and where all the healing waters are. All the famous mm -hmm. sites, Dr. Kareem went and, and measured them with his very advanced yeah, Like, like lords in France everywhere, and areas where yeah, there's healing he waters. Everywhere and found that they all produce this centering energy. The best way to describe BG3 is the eye of a storm. Everything around it's moving, but in the eye, there's dead stillness. So what you, the reason that you're feeling what you're feeling is because that cube takes any frequency bouncing through the air and converts it to that centering energy. So no matter who walks in the room, if you're too sympathetic or catabolic, it shifts your body and moves it back toward neutral between parasympathetic and sympathetic. So it actually has a balancing effect. If someone's too yin or too like hypothyroid, it'll stimulate them. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, that, that reminds me of Dr. Nick Gonzalez. I don't know if you've looked into him yes, much, I've... but he's, uh, he has an interesting book called the Gonzalez protocol and it's primarily focused around his use of almost like high dose systemic enzymes to dissolve cancer tumors. And, and he had a really interesting process of using different forms of enzymes. He was one of the original this, metabolic typing guys, right? He, yeah. And about... he also worked with some other physicians related to the metabolic typing to mm -hmm. identify several different levels of sympathetic versus parasympathetic yes. dominance and yeah. found, and, and this is kind of the whole idea behind the metabolic typing diet. The fact that for example, people who are parasympathetically dominant tend yeah. to need more sympathetic stimulus to yeah. become balanced. So yeah. they do better with a slightly higher meat and fat intake, whereas people who are sympathetically dominant need to be brought down a little bit. I'm trained in metabolic via the typing. energy. I, you must not know that. Okay. I, I didn't know this. And so it I'm, used I'm, to be taught at I'm my institute. I'm explaining it to the master. But, to but, all my but, but for, for the audience, yeah. it might be interesting. The, the parasympathetic folks do better on the meat and the fats and the yes. sympathetic folks yeah. better on the, on the vegetables and the, and the fresh fruits and then there's kind of some in-betweeners there's some weirdos that mm -hmm. have opposite reactions see they, yeah. what they did to determine this originally 
was um, they did venous blood draws and they measured the pH of the blood through a venous blood draw. And they found, for example, that some people can drink orange juice and then they will go acidic and mm-hmm. others will go alkaline, mm-hmm. even though it's the same orange juice. Mm-hmm. So that was one example. In some cases, people are very stimulated by fats and others are very shut down. It has a not only a calming effect, but for example, I'm very sensitive to any, like if I drink orange juice, I go up like a rocket ship and about 20 minutes later, I feel like I'm going to go into a comatose sleep, mm-hmm. like I'm going really low blood sugar. My body reacts that way. So some people, when they eat fat, go real up like sugar does to me, but fat tends to pick me up but other people it takes them down so that's just a quick example of what they found in the original research that led to the awareness that metabolic typing is 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 actually very important yeah and i'm i'm not married myopically to to any specific form of testing to determine what diet is right for one yeah. but it w- it would be fascinating someday to see something like, you know, for example, we have the, the day two research data out of Israel that shows that your blood sugar response and your energy after a meal is based on your microbiome. Like mm-hmm. your microbiome will affect the glycemic variability that occurs in response to a cookie or a banana or almonds mm-hmm. or whatever you know you, you might be eating. And then we know from from the studies of genetic data that some people who are over methylators might not do so well with high levels of methionine from meat, whereas mm-hmm. under methylators might need more methionine. But nobody's ever taken the concept of your genetics, your microbiome, your sympathetic versus your parasympathetic dominance and kind of cracked the code on how all of those probably feed in to a certain extent, right? Well, it's I not can tell you how to do just that. nervous system. It's not just bacteria. It's not just genetics. I can tell you how to do that. Yeah. Magic. Pay attention to what you eat and your body <laughs> will tell eating. you exactly what's we, going on with all of those. We things recorded a whole pot. As a matter of fact, for those of you listening in, I'll, I'll have show notes at uh, uh, bengreenfieldfitness.com slash Paul and Ben. Paul and Ben, I believe is, is where I'll have, or, or actually it's Ben and Paul. BenGreenfieldFitness.com slash Ben and Paul. I'll link to all the other podcasts that I've done with you, Paul, but we did a whole episode on intuitive eating. And uh, and, and, and back to this biogeometry concept, because we were talking about the balancing of the sympathetic and the, and the parasympathetic nervous system when one walks into a room in which this cube is placed, which th- in which the room is, is tuned, so to speak, biogeometrically. I know that you have two, three plus hour podcasts in which you unpack yes. a lot of this with, yeah. with the, the founders very from, from, thoroughly from Egypt to have, and there's have studied a lot of this. really but, really interesting information yeah. about how energy moves through space how space is affected by biogeometry symbols that they wouldn't really refer to them specifically as symbols they're, they're more like symbols but what we talk about a lot is how shape affects space and how energy flows through space so one of the examples i give on the biogeometry podcast to help the layman understand is what's the difference between a clarinet a trumpet and a trombone they all have wind moving through them but the shape of the instrument changes the sound of the instrument which Mm -hmm. means it's changing the frequency which means it's changing the type of energy it's producing and if you put your thumb over the end of a hose you can change how the water flows through it so now just imagine ether or space and any shape 
changes the flow of energy that's naturally in space. And as you probably well know, Richard Feynman showed there's enough energy in empty space mm -hmm. to boil in one square centimeter of empty space, there's enough energy to boil all the oceans on this planet instantly. So when people think, oh, how can a shape like that change anything in space? Well, space is absolutely friggin' teeming with energy. It's bursting yeah. with massive amounts of energy. So the biogeometry technology works because Ibrahim spent 50 years. Do Dr. Ibrahim from Egypt who developed this. Yeah, Ibrahim Karim spent a good 50 years and he's an architect and he's a scientist and he's also deeply metaphysically tapped in. He's highly tapped in spiritually. You listen to my podcast with him and that'll become obvious in no time. And what he describes, interestingly, Ben, which I think you'd find fascinating, he very much parallels some of Rudolf Steiner's teachings, even though he's coming at it no from kidding. a completely different uh, approach. And also Itzhak Bentov's teachings. Bentov taught that every object, no matter what it is, from a stone to a pen to a cup to a can, has a diva. Which is the a diva. over a diva, which is the overarching consciousness or spirit that comes within the shape or the object. And now for a lot specifically of specifically within the shape, not not like the, the energetic frequency of the of the atoms that are making up that, that object, but the actual shape itself. That too, but I'll I'll explain. So every really think of this matter is spirit moving slowly enough for you to interact with it. Something is a causal force that's holding those atoms together. We can call it consciousness, but in, in spiritual circles, that's called spirit because it's moving, right? Mm -hmm. At the table's moving, as you know, just under the speed of light. So This solid glass table that we are sitting at. Yeah, the yeah. atoms, if you look at the atoms, it's a cloud right. of right. energy moving. They're just tightly packed together enough for us to feel solid. Well, what happens is because of the polarity of them, they create mm -hmm. a force field just like the analogy I give my students is, look, if you have a, a propeller on an airplane and it's just starting, you can stick your arm between the blade as it's just turning over. But mm -hmm. once that thing's moving at 50,000 RPM. Careful with that at home, kids. It's a wall, right? Well, you got atoms with electrons spinning around it just under the speed of light. And because they have a field of energy around them, you can't penetrate them. Because you have all these miniature metaphorical airplane propellers moving at a wickedly high speed. It's a great way to think but about we don't, it. But we don't have the sensory perception, unless you're clairvoyant like I am, I can look into the table and see it looks like a sea of buzz through my third eye. That's how I read people's energy. Is field. that how you see all the time? Or do you need no. to put yourself into a certain state no, to be I able have to, to, to see shift. that way? You have to shift states. Yeah. I so actually, right now, as we're sitting here, you're not seeing this table. No, I, I and, actually and, have to change vapor. to what's classically called second sight, mm -hmm. metaphysically. First sight is what I'm using for you right now. Mm -hmm. But I consciously just ask my third eye to open. And when I do that, then I can see the astral dimensions and then I can use it just like a telescope or a magnifying or, or, or a, uh, a microscope. Mm. So if I want to focus in, I can just keep thinking finer, 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 and it tunes all the way down to the atom where I can just see a tiny little object buzzing like a cloud, or I can bring it up till I can see a whole universe, like a whole dimension in the astral plane. Do you think every human being is capable of that yes. or do you think you're special? No, everyone can do it, but they just have to, the problem is, is that first, if you don't believe in it, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Second of all, the more unresolved mental, emotional trauma or baggage you carry, 
the more of a wall you have in your own psychic filtration system. Hmm. So think of a someone who's been mentally or emotionally abused. They have areas where their energy is very congealed because they're actually walling the pain of the trauma off in that part of their body. So the more that they have, the more their energy gets stuck there and the more grounded they are because their frequency range gets narrower and narrower. Mm -hmm. You understand that concept? Mm -hmm. Like if a lion's coming after you, you narrow your frequency range to that lion or right. you're going to die. Right. You don't say, let me see his aura or you're eat getting eaten. So when people haven't healed adequately their soul does not want them jumping into other dimensions because the healing has to happen where you're at mm. and the body carries a memory of all that trauma and it actually lives in the body that's there's a, an old saying feelings buried alive never die mm. and because energy shapes form form always follows function but form also follows energy so if a person's got a lot of pain, trauma, trapped emotion, resent, guilt, shame, judgment, that thought field actually changes the structure of how the atoms and how the biochemistry of the body moves. And this is, for example, a simple example is in my years of 37 years of being a therapist, pretty much 95 to 98% of all the women I've worked with with breast cancer had the issue of being over-loving people who hmm. sacrifice their own needs for other people to the point they begin wow. to silently resent the people they love because hmm. they didn't know how to say no to them. So what happens is they start having so much blockage of their own emotion in their heart field mm -hmm. because the cost of loving everybody else at their own expense leads to first unconscious resent of the people you love, but then it becomes stronger and stronger so they hold this field of resistance around their heart. It's almost like a turtle that doesn't want to come out of its shell anymore. And so that disrupts the energy field in the aura. It's easy to see. I can spot it in a second. And that disturbs the consciousness flowing through the cells that is the organizing principle behind your physiology that, that makes a healthy person healthy and a psychologically ill person physically ill when you spot it what does it look like to you in that case it often looks like um imagine if i saw a painting of your wife let's say and i looked at it through my third eye i would see black areas almost like someone painted her with coal hmm. where the energy is stuck or it can be uh dark muddy reds it, it basically what happens is there's many ways it shows up but compared to the homogeneity and the flow of the rest of their energy field, there's a disturbance there, which would be mm -hmm. like if you had a, a creek and you threw a big boulder in it, how the water would back up against the boulder and start little rapids and go around it. So wherever there's these holding patterns, the energy cannot move properly through there because it's holding the shape of the pain and the trauma. So if you could imagine that that is expressed symbolically, right? However you might imagine that, then that basically takes the energy and it entangles it there. And the, because the judgment or the belief is the guiding force that's creating that pattern, it takes the energy and brings it to that frequency. So for oftentimes these pains, traumas, and fears are operating at a frequency below the frequency range of a healthy organ gland or cell.
So the cells there start to get walled off and they don't feel like they're part of a community. And that's exactly what cancer is. It's cells that do not behave as though they're part of a community. Right, right. Hi, everybody. You know, people from around the world are constantly asking me where they can find organic foods and supplements that are actually organic, not just some fake impersonation, which is sadly so common in the marketplace today. My most common suggestion is go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, where you can find a wide range of excellent nutritious products made from certified organic source materials. Organifi has superfood drinks that actually taste great, (laughs) unlike most, immune support products, excellent high-quality protein powders, digestive support, joint support, liver support, green juice, hormonal support, and menstrual ease nutrition formulated by a team of female herbologists for women and more. My family and I and a significant number of my clients and friends and students from around the world use and love Organifi products because they're nutritious, taste great, and unlike many products, you actually get what you pay for. Hallelujah! I love Organifi's high values and high quality products and they're excellent for athletes, children, and the whole family. There's no better investment than investing in your own health and well-being. And when it comes to investing in my health and the health of my family, I go to Organifi. If that's not enough to make you want to explore all the amazing products waiting for you at Organifi, I'd love to sweeten the deal for you by offering you a special Living 4D with Paul Check discount of 20% on any of Organifi's excellent certified organic super clean nutritious products by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20 on checkout. That's Check 20, all caps, on checkout. I hope you enjoy Organifi as much as my family and I do. In a case of using biogeometry, what's happening is that when someone walks into an environment, the, the, the frequency, the energetics in the room are allowing them to maintain a proper nervous system balance. And what I know people are going to ask, and so I'll cut straight to the chase here, is how do they actually have biogeometry set up in their home? Is typically someone coming to their place and doing an just, analysis of the home? You, if you want to go that level, you can. But if you just buy the home kit and follow the instructions, for example, you shouldn't place it closer than about 10 centimeters to any object because it'll disrupt its broadcast. It's sending waves out in every direction. So if you put it too close to the cup, you have that same effect I just said about a rock in the water. Mm-hmm. It'll disturb the balance of it. And so then, you can go to their website if you, if you were to just Google bio, biogeometry.com. biogeometry.com. Okay. And so the home kit comes with the instructions. It tells you the ideal placement. It comes with a charging plate. You have to char- charge it and clear it every day. So it clears all the discordant energy that's collected because it picks mm-hmm. up any discordant energy out of the environment. How do you clear it? You put it on the charging tray. Okay. There's a special tray that's got a circuit, a radio. So every circuit. day you take the shape out, you clear it, then you put it back where yes. it was originally. Yeah. Three, usually about three minutes, three to hmm. 20 minutes, we'll clear it and charge it. And you can also clear any object such as the glasses you wear on your head, vitamins, hmm. medicines. The- theoretically, if you forgot to charge it, would it then start to accumulate a yeah. lot of the, the more negative disruptive frequencies well, and then almost yeah, it, it does. Cr- it's, create its own issues? It's like a, a pipe that gets too much um, water mineral deposits, how it starts to close in, right? Mm-hmm. Or like an artery with arteriosclerosis. So those discordant energies that it's collecting start kind of clogging it up. And I can tell, I can feel it because what happens is the frequency in the room starts to shift down, down, down. Like light 
if you took the aperture of a camera and made it narrower and narrower and narrower till there's less and less light. So I'm using an analogy, but the openness that you feel in there starts to close down. So it's almost mm. like there's just the broadcast power goes down. But back to the diva, you see what, what glad someone brought us back to the diva. Yeah, what what Dr. Kareem described very beautifully is he says that wherever there's frequency, there's always a center point. So if you take a straight line like we call somebody who's flatline dead, right? Mm -hmm. So that represents zero. So whenever there's a sine wave of any type right at the neutral point where it's not positive and not negative right on the line, which is where the wave mm -hmm. originates and returns to, right? So if right. this was an electrical circuit and you pulled the plug, you'd have nothing but that zero point Right, line. so you've drawn on this notepad a sinusoidal wave, yeah. just the, the, the typical wave above the line, the wave below the line, yeah. where those two waves meet. You right. called that point what? That's the zero point. The zero point, okay. And so right there is where the centering energy emerges, and that's mm -hmm. where, in Ibrahim Karim's word, he calls it the Devon energy. And so what he says, D-I-V-O-N, D-I-V-O-N, which means like diva, okay. but it, it's basically divine because if God is, is, is any frequency, it's unconditional love, which is zero. Mm -hmm. And so what he describes is that that divine energy, which is the healing and balancing energy that holds the whole universe together is in that center point right there. So the BG3 system is broadcasting the kind of energy that's moving through that center point. And because it's in the center point, if you walk into the room and you're all clogged up with chaotic energy, then it's going to pump that energy back into you from that point because it's broadcasting it out like that. So whatever those waves are, they're getting pulled right into the center. And then it broadcasts that out. So imagine this is a a you know a fountain and in the middle you have your fountain shooting up so it's catching these waves pulling it into the cube and then just like the fountain shoots up it's putting bg3 back into the environment which is mm -hmm. centering energy so no matter what your physiological imbalance is when you walk into the space where the cube is it's pushing your whole system to center. So if you're it's like a giant vacuum cleaner for negative frequencies. Yeah, or yeah. excessively positive frequencies. Oh, good point. It yeah. balances. Mm -hmm. That's what the beauty of it is. Well, I, I can tell you, as soon as I walked into your office particularly, yeah. I felt just calm as a as a cucumber. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, the office is built into stone, mm -hmm. which is calming. And then I have um terracotta floor, which is highly paramagnetic, and your body's largely diamagnetic so when you take <clears throat> when oxygen is the most paramagnetic substance ever evaluated the rating scale goes to 10,000 oxygens at 10,000 that terracotta clay is probably around i would guess four or six hundred uh maybe even a little higher um but when when farmers know how to balance the minerals in their soil they want their soils between three and six hundred to grow optimal crops um Philip Callahan measured the energy, paramagnetic energy at healing sites all over the world and found most of them were around 1,600. 1,600 what? Are we talking about the... Uh, the paramagnetic. Uh, uh, param is that like a hertz? No, 1,600 is just a, a, a subjective rating scale. Like how's, okay. how's your pen pain zero to 10? Okay, gotcha. But because... So there's no units. No, 
he, he was the first one to identify what paramagnetic energy is and how it's created from the sun. And you can look at his book uh, titled, um, I think it's called Paramagnetic Energy or Paramagnetic Stone. It's got paramagnetic in the title. Um, but when you measure the paramagnetic energy of oxygen, which means the affinity to the south pole of a magnet, diamagnetic energies have an affinity to the north pole of a magnet. So Philip Callahan was the first scientist to actually show that during solar flares, something happened that was never believed possible before, and that is that the sun has such powerful discharge, it creates monopole photons, which would be, most people would never believe that was possible, because that would be like saying you can make a magnet that's only north pole. But he showed that the sun's got enough energy to actually I wouldn't call it split the photon, but change the structure of the photon. So some of them are paramagnetic and they are drawn towards the south pole of a magnet and the diamagnetic energies are drawn toward the north pole of a magnet. There's other definitions for paramagnetic energy. Mm -hmm. But the key point is, is that when you take a full breath of oxygen, oxygen is highly charged with paramagnetic energy and your body's full of water. So you take paramagnetic energy and oxygen, connect it to an iron molecule of heme, and you now have a packet of charge differential floating around in a stream of water. So an electric- AKA blood. Uh, yes, an electric motor only works because you're alternating between a positive and a negative polarity, which makes the rotor spin. So when you breathe oxygen, this is why breathing exercises energize you so much, you're saturating your blood with oxygen, which creates a huge polarity differential between the tissues and the water of your body, which are diamagnetic. So the more you oxygenate, the higher your positive energy potential goes relative to the mm -hmm. negative, which means you have a greater work potential. Right. The more you oxygenate or the more you carbon dioxygenate, meaning that, that if you are based on the type of thing that a guy like Patrick McCown writes in his book, The Oxygen Advantage, if you are not over-breathing, if you're not blowing off excess right. carbon dioxide, yeah. retention of certain amounts of carbon dioxide, yeah. which is why some people make a mistake of hearing that you should do deep diaphragmatic breathing all day long when in right. fact your breathing should be somewhat shallow, still from the belly, but somewhat shallow, that carbon dioxide in the bloodstream shifts that oxygen dissociation curve you, you and you, even, you wind up oxygenating the tissue even more. You shouldn't even have to think about it. Your, your, your you tissues are regulating that constantly, but if, yeah. if you're doing breathing exercise, and you're outgassing too much oxygen, it'll push you more and more sympathetic. So a lot of people don't realize that the reason they, you know, start going unconscious with like piston breathing and stuff mm -hmm. is because they're outgassing so much carbon dioxide that they're not stimulating right. the parasympathetic system. Right. So it can push the system right up till it basically collapses. I've yeah, seen people it, just go out cold. It's interesting. I, I interviewed a couple, I've interviewed a couple of times in a kind of an immersive journalist named James Nestor about his book, Breathe was the last podcast that I did with him. And he even talks about uh, a, a, a device called a, a carbogen, a carbon dioxide inhalation device that can be used to manage anxiety because you're actually replacing carbon dioxide back into the body and shifting the I nervous system. I can tell you a real cheap way to back do in that. Order. It's called breathe, a paper breathe through, bag. Breathe through your nose. Yeah, or a paper, paper bag. bag. That's all you got to do. Just rebreathe your own carbon dioxide and your carbon dioxide level goes up and your parasympathetic system starts to turn on and your sympathetic goes down and you balance yourself out. But if people start marketing nervous system enhancing paper bags on Amazon, well, that's, it, that's, it'll be because of us. It's most likely yeah. next, you know, yeah. how it works. That's, that's the next biohack. 
But the the thing I was trying to describe for you is just that oxygen has this really high paramagnetic charge mm -hmm. without which we have no energy potential because without oxygen, our body is negative in charge. So breathing is what brings the oxygen, which has the positive potential, which creates the work potential that your cells use to function. Now, of course, you get energy from food, but you have to have oxygen to oxidize food mm -hmm. as well. So you have to have it for your metabolism. But the point is there's a polarity differential. Centering energy, basically, the BG3 energy is between, if you call that sympathetic positive, parasympathetic negative, it's where it emerges from and returns to. So that's the centering energy quality. Now, naturally, you're, you could stand in the eye of a tornado and it wouldn't kill you, but it would just feel extremely still. Well, you know, research shows, I've seen pictures of tornadoes uh, that are so powerful that it takes straw, like bales of straw from a farm and puts it right through an oak tree. Are you kidding me? No, I've wow. seen pictures. I got them right in my library. Holy somewhere. cow. It, it, the, the, the energy in those tornadoes is so strong, it'll actually drive straw right through an oak tree. And you can see it completely embedded. Not like straw. Like, you mean like the, the, the individual um, tubes. That, what do we call it? The tubes of straw. Yes. They're, they're embedded they're in the trunk of the tree. Like someone wow. shot them in with such force that it actually can go right through oak. That's crazy. So my point is, which is which is one of the harder woods. Yeah, and yeah. so the point being is is that there's that much energy circling around you, but in the eye of that storm, it's dead still. That's what the BG three energy is. It's that centering energy. So for most people today, they're wound and stressed and underslept and rushed. So mm -hmm. when you come into that field, as you feel, it has a very calming effect. Which the first time I felt it immediately took me back to being inside of caves and having that same sense of deep calmness that is in mm. a cave because of the largely because of the granite and the effects of the rock which often have high paramagnetic content because there's a lot of rocks for example basalt granite there's many rocks that have paramagnetic minerals and philip callahan found for example he traveled the world and measured how much paramagnetic energy was in the soil. And I've actually got his paramagnetic testing machine so I can test anything. And this was the same gentleman who identified that yeah. about 300 to 600 for a paramagnetic soil value yeah. is perfect for optimal yeah. soil. So because throughout history, there's always been lots of, of writing about the richness of the soil of the Nile in Egypt, such as biblical texts and things like that. So Philip Callahan actually tested, he found on commercial farms, it was between... Uh, zero and a hundred at best, mostly closer to zero because the soils were so depleted. But when he went to the Nile, on average, he found the paramagnetic reading was 600, which would be quite high. And then to get past that in the environment, you got to go to places where there's like Stonehenge or Gobekli Tepe or or, or pyramids. And, and actually in, in, in one of his books, he shows he can take a pyramid. One of uh, Philip Callahan's books? Yeah. He actually shows himself inside of a pyramid f causing a object he brought in to levitate that was made of paramagnetic materials. So he, wow. because north against north or south against south repels, he did it to demonstrate that whoever built the pyramids had such a deep knowledge of these stones, they knew that they were highly paramagnetic. And he shows him taking an object that's made of paramagnetic substance and, and it hovers over the stone because of the repulsion of the 
paramagnetic against paramagnetic is south on south. Do you think the the, the pyramids and the, and the shape of those pyramids were uh, were conceived through because there's there's many philosophies, sacred intelligence of plants, uh, alien race, or, or fallen angels like the Nephilim, as, as the Book of Enoch talks about. Yeah, you know, there I'm convinced that there's something outside of whatever human consciousness oh, existed yes. when those were there's, built. There's when the forty thousand plus pyramids you can find all over the world were we, built. We can't even. We couldn't but even build. I was a just curious today. if if you've struck across in your massive library here a, yeah. a philosophy that that yes. you think is the I, most sound. For the that. one that I trust the most is the Law of One series by Ra, mm -hmm. which is actually the entity that created the pyramids. They say they are. They're the ones that developed the tarot. They give very comprehensive explanations, and I actually use their system to train myself in tarot. It took me a year and a half to follow the system, which is what they use to train the Egyptian priests exactly. Mm. And they describe in the Law of One series that the pyramids were not built like we think they were built. They are thought forms. And that the entity Ra, which is now longer, they no longer need their bodies. They're, they're six-dimensional entities. But thousands of years ago, they were actually here in physical form. But they actually created the pyramids. They describe how they did it. They held the image of the architecture, but they have the ability to put so much energy into the thought form it just attracts material to its body and they said that they left little clues to suggest that somebody had built them because they knew humanity would not be capable of understanding how something that big and that technical could have been built through thought wow but they describe exactly that they are thought forms with such energy pumped into them that they materialize literally materialize mm. so they weren't built piece by piece like we think they are they said that they made them look like that so human beings uh would would be able to somehow try to rationalize the thing in, in their head otherwise they would have been forever completely and utterly confused even to this day have you ever visited the pyramids the, no. the, the particular i have ones been the ones to gaza i have been to pyramids in mexico but not yeah I, I spoke in cairo a few months ago um i guess i guess now, now it was over lives. a year ago and uh and uh was with my boys i brought my boys out because i was speaking in cairo and then dubai and so i wanted to expose them to the the middle east and yeah. because they're they're unschooled everything we do is just life-based experiences for Good. education and so so the, you know, I, I got them a few of the, the <laughs> yeah, exactly. The not de-educated, the, the, a lot of the, um, you know, the, the Lego buildings and architectural models of some of the, some of the constructions in Dubai, as well as yeah. the pyramids. And we settled, studied Middle Eastern cuisine and language and art. Then I took them there and we, we arranged a van to pick us up from a hotel and take us out to the pyramids. And I got to tell you, it is, it, it's been absolutely bastardized. It's a giant tourist trap. People yeah. selling you trinkets you yeah, know, all, all the way in, you know, signs and tour guides and, mm -hmm. and, you know, tourists with cameras and, you know, practically everything, but the Mickey mouse hats, yeah. it was just, it was, it was sad. I, I didn't like the energy there at, at all. Yeah. I could see how at one time it would have been a very sacred place, but like many things, it, it's been turned into almost like, uh, you know, it, it reminded me of when, when Jesus in the Bible cleanses the temple because it's just full of money changers yes. and merchants and yes. people selling overpriced doves to poor people. And it, it was this, the same feeling, something that was sacred, having been bastardized by commerce. Hi, everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There is a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. 
I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable. And I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their Essential C Complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your Essential C Complex. Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe acerola cherry and camu camu and omla berry. And then I just packed them into capsules. And the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. So to get access to this complex, all you have to do is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code CHECK15 at checkout. That's lowercase C-H-E-K 15 and you can save 15% off. There's a, a phenomenal series on Gaia, which I'm absolutely addicted to, called Ancient Civilizations, and they interview the top experts on everything to do with Stonehenge, uh, healing sites, pyramids, portals, and it's really deep, and they quote a lot of excellent science people like Greg Braden and many others, and it, it's absolutely not only mind-blowing, but there's a one of the episodes is on Raw, which is who... The, the law of one books is by, but they actually get into the whole science of what raw was, how that came to be. But they have amazing demonstrations of how they built these huge spires. And, you know, of course, you, you know, my water charger, and I've been doing this for a long time. We have a whole podcast about your water charging stations. Right. Yeah. And so what was amazing is they showed that inside these giant spires, which they built, and these things are like a hundred feet tall, big stone pillars, like, you know, hundred ton pillars, all carved interestingly with very unique and intricate hieroglyphic type symbols, which is just what biogeometry does because they mm. use these signatures to change the flow of the energy. So imagine this thing's like a hundred feet tall and it's like the size of a tree with a five foot base on it. And they built them on metal plates in giant swimming pools. Mm. So what do you got there? And then they open these things up and they're loaded with very high-end crystals. The thing, the whole tower is packed and each one has a different frequency and they have different crystals to change the frequency. So the height and the shape changes the frequency. And they showed that the energy was caught by these towers. It would catch the sun's energy and the crystals determine which ray, which bandwidth of frequency of the sun's waves and then it pumps it down into the swimming pool and they hooked brass conductors to the metal plate and they showed inside the pyramid which is fairly recent they've got these robots with cameras that went inside where people hadn't gone before and they had literally like electrical circuitry in there and they have holes perfectly drilled. Imagine a half-inch copper pipe like you'd plumb a bathroom sink with. They have this whole pyramid structure Holy cow. connected to these big spiral, the spires in the water with the crystals in them. And they showed that they were actually- now Can you still see these to this day? Yeah, yeah. Where are they at again? They're in Egypt. No kidding. 
Yeah. Wow. As you're describing that, like the very first thing that comes to my mind is I'm thinking of uh, my my father's water structuring production facility that I was telling you about. And, and the fact that each of the different cartridges used to filter the water is packed with crystals and stones that mm-hmm. produce a, a, a varying range of frequencies. And then those are t- typically you're either pouring water into it, you know, and spiralizing the water and structuring mm-hmm. it or installing it as a, as a home house filtration unit. Or as I described to you, I have these cartridges and I've been putting them in the pool and in the hot tub. And they're they're uh, somehow structuring the water with those those frequencies that are produced probably by the minerals. The water is the crystal crystal clear minerals. So what what they showed is that the sunlight, and they found that they were tuned to what they classified as the long waves of sunlight, almost mm-hmm. like radio waves, not mm-hmm. short, fast waves in the in the, in the um, you know what's the it's billions of cycles angstrom range. Right, sunlight's in the light is in the angstrom range. But they showed that they were catching these longer, slower waves, and they were custom-tuning each of these pillars to a slightly different frequency range and collecting that energy and pumping it all through the pyramids. And it was somehow not only powering everything, but powering, they, they believed. You think they were powering cities? They think they this? were powering the whole pyramids, and they said that... It, so that would have been how the pyramids, those massive structures, were built using, using energy harnessed from light. Well, they were built, like I said, as thought forms if you follow Ra's approach. Now, mm-hmm. many people may not agree with that because a lot of people don't really have a concept for how you could materialize a thought form. But without a long discussion on that, um, <laughs> you, you know, think of what we do. You want to build a tree fort, you have an idea in your head and you add matter to the image in your head. And so you materialize a thought form. But if you look at people like Sai Baba that manifest stuff in, out of thin air from gold and watches to stones to ashes, what my, uh, mana. And I mean, I've seen slow motion videos and I've actually Angie studied with Sai Baba in person. And Who's Sai Baba? Sai Baba is a famous um, Hindu saint. He, he's dead now. He's, he's, fairly recent though people from all over the world would come to him to get healings and he's wickedly powerful man and he he there's many videos if you just go on youtube sai baba manifesting objects you'll see it how do you spell sai baba approximately s-a-i space b-a-b-a sai baba wow i've got some of his music it's mind-blowingly good holy cow it's beautiful beautiful never heard of him yeah sai baba's you know he's (laughs) <laughs> really powerful he he died not too long ago but but anyhow um i was talking about manifesting a thought form and there is an example right. of a living human being and there's been many many others out there just most people don't know about him but he could manifest out of thin air and he did it regularly in front of thousands and thousands of people it wasn't like he was doing this in a closet and pretending that he could do it this guy could manifest you know, like beautiful jewelry and watches and things that worked out of thin air using energetic frequencies uh, and and assembling atoms that are already existent in the environment around him into into physical matter what is matter spirit moving slowly enough you can Mm -hmm. interact with it he Mm -hmm. is a spiritual master who can tap into the flow of what we would call Hmm. the energy of consciousness and energize it through his own being and they would say he would get really hot when he would do it his hands would get super hot and, um, but anyhow, a lot of people it's don't believe in that, but I, wow. I, I, I've not only have I, uh, met people that have seen him do it, such as my own wife, um, 
you know, I was trained in the Self-Realization Fellowship system, which is Yogananda's monks. Many of the monks that trained me watched Yogananda doing all sorts of stuff like this. So they know damn well it's true. And these are not people that tell lies. I can tell you that right now. Mm. It's not It's not even in their fiber to do that. Wow. Wow. You know, not, not to... Uh not to derail us too quickly from the conversation about biogeometry, but people may have heard the crinkling in the background here oh, as yeah. we're passing this bag around and be wondering what exactly love. is going on in the background as, as we're hissing and puffing here. So the la- I think the last time we recorded a, a podcast, you talked briefly about this idea of taking tobacco and blending it with a variety of different teas and, and mm-hmm. oils. And, mm-hmm. you know, for something like this, for example, this is a, this is based on a, uh, this bag is from a volcano vaporizer. And so uh, t- tell folks who maybe are not familiar with this concept what you're doing when, yeah. when you're taking this this volcano and blending these different herbs and oils. First, I'll say if you want to learn about how to do it, how I do it, um, I have an online course through the Czech Institute called The Healing Herb, which gives you the history of marijuana. We interview a couple of marijuana experts on the biochemistry and all the different um, healing benefits, positives. What would you call it? Because I'm going to link to it in the show notes. The Healing the healing herb. The healing herb. Okay. So I'll, if you go to bengreenfieldfitness.com slash Ben and Paul, I'll link to that one. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I, w- I want to take this course now. Even, even in my book, Boundless, I talked a little bit about my experience here with you and the different blends that you had made. And I still get comments on that section yeah. of people who want to know more. They, they, they don't just want the concept of taking a, a vaporizer bag like this and filling it with the essence of the tobacco and the oils. And, and you, know, you have a variety of loose lease teas that, that you yeah. told me you, you do more smoking of the teas than drinking of them. Yeah. But, p- but people want the actual recipes. They want the cookbook. Yeah. I told you sh- you should write a cookbook book at some point well we actually all, all the uh, gavin jennings our ceo has come out with his own line of smoke mixes for vaporizing um they're right on the check store oh really yeah amazing um, wow i don't um, i don't have the brand name on the top of my head but you can't miss them okay. just look for smoke okay. we have yeah. we have uh, a few of my favorite smoke mixes right on the check store and gavin's line it's it's a celtic motif so you'll notice the celtic symbols on it but they're very beautiful yeah well i was telling you one one thing i've been doing just because i've been uh one of my friends gifted me a pipe and i've been smoking organic tobacco with that but then a, a molen grows on my land mm-hmm. which the large broad leaf of the molen kind of mm-hmm. like this fuzzy leaf you can put it in a in a dehydrator and dehydrate it and grind it and then blend it with the tobacco and it's yeah. actually got a lot of lung healing properties and mm-hmm. kind of kind of grounds the tobacco it's a common a ingredient in a lot yeah. of smoke uh, yeah vapor well, yeah. these are smoke. grows like weeds on my property grandfather's spirit is where i get my most of my smoke mixes cuz they're certified organic but mullen is a common one used in a lot of smoke mixes. Uh, and those are meant to be smoked in a pipe. I just happen to vaporize them. Tobacco leaf has culinary uses as well. It's interesting. There's there's some chefs uh, that you know utilize molecular gastronomy and different ingredients who will take the tobacco and boil it in water to extract some of the flavor and then no. take some of the leaves and some of the water. And one, one popular recipe, and you, you can find a recipe for this, uh, is... Uh, ice cream, tobacco ice cream, mm-hmm. and and uh, you have to be very careful because you can easily have a spoonful of ice cream and get ten milligrams of nicotine. A very very small amount of tobacco necessary for this. And then I, I had a, a dinner guest at my house a couple of weeks ago, and he does uh, with his tobacco. He makes a, a finely ground cacao paste out of it, mm-hmm. and you just take a little little tiny bit, like on the end of a toothpick, and, you know, just as almost like a pick me up. I make tobacco way. butter. Yeah, I just take really organic butter and fry some tobacco in it, and then sift the tobacco leaf fibers. I grind the tobacco up and then I sift the 
tobacco uh, out of it so that I just have the butter and it's mm-hmm. got all the nicotine. So if I want a little pick me up or clear my head and I'm on the road yeah. and I don't have any vaporizing stuff, I just take a little butter on the end of my finger and stick it on my tongue and it absorbs right through and you're rocking. Yeah. Interestingly, the, you know, the, the one molecule that has interesting corollaries to nicotine is, is piperine from black pepper. Oh, interesting. And that's something that's, that's now used as, as a smoking cessation treatment is, oh. is black pepper essential oil, like black pepper extract. Uh-huh. I was showing you that, uh, that, that flow pen that mm-hmm. I keep in my fanny pack. And it's very simple. It's just a small wooden device that, that you have a cotton swab that you'll saturate with any essential oil you want, you know, peppermint or rosemary or, or black pepper, or whatever. And then you take a whiff on it and you're just breathing in the essential oil essence. But mm-hmm. a lot of people use black pepper and wean themselves off cigarettes just yeah. by, just by whiffing black pepper. Essential I've vaporized oil. a number of teas that have black pepper in them. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. you just got to be a bit careful because it's a bit hot on the lungs if, mm-hmm. if there's very much in it, but it is a nice experience. Yeah. Well, for the longest time, it, it was one of the few ways to actually enhance the bioavailability of turmeric when cool. you can, because turmeric isn't water soluble, but when you blend it with, with piperine, it'll actually pass through the, the gastric wall and become more absorbed. If you want like to, to battle systemic inflammation, turmeric combined with black pepper in the supplement industry was typically the, the go-to way to get your turmeric with the only other way to do it would be to blend it with fat, right? Mm-hmm. Like a coconut oil or mm-hmm. coconut milk, almost like a, like a golden milk mm-hmm. lot type so of concept but you know now they've they've just well there's a, there's a couple of things a if you're just using the turmeric for to to fight gut inflammation you wouldn't blend it with the black pepper because you want it to stay right you want in your stay gastrointestinal your tract yeah. and now you know people are, are nano emulsifying turmeric and and extracting the saccharides from turmeric you you there are ways to get around that that blending with black pepper now so you don't have to do that as much anymore but but piperine is interesting as an alternative to nicotine for people who find it too stimulative or addicting. There's a lot of, um, see, I use the Northern shag tobacco, uh, which is actually a tobacco from the Stockaby company mm-hmm. in Denmark. Cause they don't spray it. I, I bought, I bought some after you, you showed that to me last time. Yeah, yeah. I choose that because one, it's a nice neutral flavor. It doesn't have a lot of flavor to it. Like a lot of mm-hmm. tobaccos do. So you can use it kind of like flour to make any kind of cake you want. If the flour was tasted like chocolate, then it would skew your ability to use it with other things. But also the Northern Shag has the lowest amount of nicotine of all the tobaccos I've ever been able to find and analyze. So Hmm. I choose it specifically because it it has, when you're vaporizing, you're only getting, I estimate about 30% of what would happen if you flamed it like a cigarette or a pipe. Uh, The cigarette burns at 800 Fahrenheit. The hottest my vaporizer will go is 459. And so you can't, because it's an oil-based product, you can't really suck it out nearly as effectively as you can with a flame. So I know, because I, you know, I smoke, I do like 20 bags a day, probably maybe 30, just because I enjoy it. And uh, if I go off of it, cold turkey to fly somewhere or whatever, I just feel tired for about probably three quarters of a day. If I get a good sleep that night, the next day, it's like I never, ever had any tobacco in my system at all. So it's not hard to. That's that's good because, you know, nicotine is, it's very dopaminergic. You know, that, that whole concept of smoking a cigarette after you have sex, right? For for people who are, who, who are heavily addicted to cigarettes, there's actually a, a reason behind that because once you become, um, 
once you become dependent on on a dopamine releasing compound anything in life that would normally produce the pleasurable sensation of a dopamine relief release needs yeah. to be enhanced with right. something to kick the dopamine up even more and hence yeah. you know you got to have your steak Adaptation. And, then, and then smoke some tobacco have a cigar after your steak have a cigarette after sex or mm-hmm. or you know or chew on nicotine or whatever and i have nothing against nicotine i think it's a fantastic compound. there's there's you know the the stigma of tobacco is based on commercial cigarettes which have right. something like four hundred chemicals. Yeah. There, they got the average cigarettes eight percent sugar. So you're mm-hmm. mainlining a, a mm-hmm. drug that, as Candace Pert said, should be a class one drug because it's as addictive as morphine and heroin. And because they're commercially raised with with farming chemicals, it's extremely mm-hmm. dangerous yeah. to smoke commercial tobacco. But I have a, a book in my library here written by a medical doctor. It's probably 250 300 pages all on the medical benefits of tobacco i've got another book on tobacco shamanism which is shaman that used nothing but nicotina rustica mm-hmm. and various tobaccos to heal all sorts of ailments so you know it's like anything if you use it intelligently then it can enhance your life but if you abuse it then it if you use it intelligently you. if you source it intelligently yeah. you know because mm-hmm. c- cigarettes and, and, and a california cab are in my opinion equivalent when you look at the the 70 plus pesticides and herbicides that are allowed in a big bold california red and yet you could turn right around and, and say you know organic tobacco and a nice organic biodynamic wine are just fine so the delivery mechanism is is pretty important yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you have to be intelligent across the board i mean you know that's why i vaporize yeah. do you drink alcohol not my body doesn't like alcohol. Uh, occasionally, I'll have a little bit. When I was 15, I got into a drinking contest with two buddies, and I 15. drank so much. I ended up, actually, we were going to a rock concert, and I didn't even know. I was to, I was so drunk, I didn't know what I was doing. But What we, were you drinking? Uh, I, we were drinking Southern Comfort, uh, Drambuie, okay. and... Um, Kahlua. The reason I ask is everybody has those, those, you know, for many people, it's tequila in college, you know, the one drink that still brings back nausea for them every time they're near it. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up getting thrown in jail because I went up on the stage when the band was on break and started playing the instruments. Of course you did. And uh, I didn't, don't have any memory of it. My friends told me all about it, but then I woke up in the <laughs> drunk tank with a bunch of guys and vomit all Can over just the see floor. young Paul Check drunk on stage playing the band's instruments. Yeah. Hi, everybody. You know, leaky gut syndrome is one of the most common inflammatory conditions that not only really seriously hampers our digestion, but leads to a wide variety of health problems from cognitive dysfunction to low energy to bad skin problems, pimples, rashes. The list of of symptoms that can come from leaky gut syndrome is very, very long, and it's often misdiagnosed, and people go down all sorts of rabbit holes treating symptoms but not really getting to the cause. The most common three causes of leaky gut syndrome are stress, just too much stress in your life, which these days is really common for people. Next is the side effects of medical drugs, and about 85% of the world population is on prescribed medical drugs. And the third is consuming alcohol. And whenever stress levels rise, medical drug consumption and alcohol consumption go up, increasing gut permeability and leading to lots of health problems and energy deficiencies. And people just feeling lousy when they really need to have the energy to respond to life more effectively. 
but we have a phenomenal solution for you, which is Leaky Gut Guardian made by Bioptimizers. I brought Wade Lightheart in to tell us how it works and why we should use it. Wade, what is special about Leaky Gut Guardian and why should we all be using it? Well, researchers from Harvard and John Hopkins say that over 70% of your immunity is from the gut and about 80% of the population is suffering from a permeability uh, where basically the bad guys are pooping in your blood. Yes. The bottom line is Leaky Gut Guardian does four different things. It eliminates bad guys. It seals the gut. It replenishes the right probiotics that kind of give you the feel-good probiotics and provides those feel-good probiotics that make the neurotransmitters in the body. It contains a unique patented formula that contains IGY Max, which serves as the patch. We actually have two PhDs in biofilm who are testing this product, and the results are extraordinary to wipe out the bad guys, fix and patch up the gut so that you get the nutrients you want without the waste from these pathogenic bacterias. It is truly extraordinary. And if you mix that vanilla version that we have inside your, you know, espresso coffee with your fats, uh, yes. makes a beautiful vanilla latte. Tastes great. And of course, we also have a uh, chocolate carnivore, we call it for people who want the collagen and bone broth boosted on that one. That's for that one. And of course, the vegetarians choose the vanilla. Of course, you don't have to be a vegetarian to love the vanilla. No, absolutely. So it's very, very exciting. My wife, Penny, actually... Uh, somehow managed to get that out before I could get a hold of it. Uh, but she's working on that and uh, healing her gut. And she tells me that it's an excellent product. So I'm really excited. And she never gives compliments unless compliments are due. If she doesn't like a product, she'll tell me. So right from my own family, I have great evidence that Leaky Gut Guardian is the real deal. So why not give yourself not only some healing, but even if you feel great, some protective measures keep the right supplement coming into your body, keep the right bacteria. And the PhDs in biofilm, just so you guys are clear, that's the gut barrier you're talking about. So they have PH, the, the formulators have PhDs or doctorate degrees in the science of the gut barrier. So the product is developed by people that know exactly what they're doing is what you're really saying. 100%. All of our products are made with the highest level of research, the experts in their field, combining with the highest quality products to ensure that it delivers on the promises and everything's backed up with a 100% money back guarantee. You can get Leaky Gut Guardian at leakygutguardian.com forward slash living number four, little d. Put in Paul 10, that's capital P-A-U-L 10, for a 10% discount off this and any other Bioptimizer's products. That's leakygutguardian.com forward slash living, number four, little d. And at the end, Paul, capital P-A-U-L, 10 to get 10% off. I love Bioptimizer's products. I use them every day, and I'm confident that you will love them too. Enjoy. You know, we, we were talking about the possibility of writing a cookbook for the for the tobacco yes. and oil blends that you make, but you are writing a book right yes. now, right? Yeah. What is your book about? Well, my new book is about why are we here and why is the world always so fucking crazy, right? Look back through history. There's just been nothing but wars and emperors and people controlling people and suppressing people and, uh, you know, waves of violence and starving people all over the world, even though Bill Gates could feed them all and make them all rich if he cared as a metaphor. Um, 
why are relationships so challenging? Um, why do people who often seem to be very good people have real challenging lives? And why do people like criminals often seem to be living the high life and having all the fruits of the labor that they never did, uh, mm -hmm. honestly? And it's really a uh, an explanation based on my own deep years and years of metaphysical research on consciousness and study, mixing my spiritual practices with my meditation work as part of it with remote viewing, with astral travel, with mm. plant medicines, and with extensive study on everybody I can find that has anything intelligent to say about what consciousness is, which is quite a lot of study, years and years and years and years of it, hundreds and hundreds of notebooks of it. Um, and so it's really what is consciousness and why are we here and what is spirituality, what is spiritual growth, how do you do it? And the book gives you a toolkit of practices that not only help you engage relationships more thoroughly, like nonviolent communication, for example, but help you understand the structure stages of consciousness so you can see how consciousness grows based on extensive research. And so you can identify hallmarks of where a person's at in a given structure stage of consciousness, maybe the traditional stage, which is the stage that people are attracted to fundamentalist religion versus the integral stage, which is 2% of the world population based on Ken Wilber's research. But the integral level is the highest level of consciousness we have. But as we grow through consciousness, if, if we're healthy psychologically, we transcend each level, but we include it. So if you go back in, in there's various models, but you start at the bottom, that's the archaic level. So that would be all the way back to the beginning of the earth when it was just populated with um, minerals. There was no life on it. Then you have the magic level, which is when biology emerges. Then you have the mythic level, which would be, you know, every tribe that's leaving paintings and carvings and telling a story. Mm -hmm. That's the mythic level. And interestingly, in the magic level, they find art from that period of human development, and oftentimes, most rarely ever do you see a mouth drawn on any of the pictures of humans. They have no mouth. Why is that? Because at that level of, of conscious development, we lived in nature, and listening was much more important to survival than speaking. So, because we had to pay very close attention to sound to hear things coming up behind us, for example we hadn't really oriented ourselves to language yet. And as we learn sound, some theorists say that we actually learned what we call language by emulating animals, such as chimpanzees and other animals, elephants. And so we started learning their languages, which we eventually produced our own language from. Uh, it gets deeper than that, though, because there's archetypal influences and there's many philosophies and theories of language. But the point is that at that level of the magic stage, we were still very fused into biology. We, we, for, for a common parlance, we did not have much of an ego. We functioned more like wolves in a pack than mm. we did as individuals. Then in the mythic period, you start seeing that they're drawing everybody with mouths and the art starts to reflect the consciousness. Mm. And Gene Gebser has written a lot about this. And um, he's got a great book called Seeing Through the World by Jeremy Thomas. It's all about 
the evolution of consciousness and the integral stage that we're all merging into right now. Um, so what I'm pointing out is that uh, in my book, I show these models of the different structure stages of consciousness so that a person can recognize, okay, now that I know where I'm at, I can see what opportunities there are for me to grow my awareness. So, for example, if you go past the traditional stage and Ken Wilber stage, you get to the modern stage. The modern stage emerges, for example, when somebody who's been a Christian all their life all of a sudden meets someone who's a Buddhist, hangs out with them, and realizes there's things about their philosophy that are more freeing and more nurturing than their own. And so they get an interest in Buddhism. And the next thing you know, they're reading Buddhist books and they're carrying the wisdom of the Buddha, and they're adding it to the wisdom of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, someone talks about Hinduism, and they hear about Shiva, or uh, Krishna, or um, you know uh, Indra, or any number of the, the Hindu deities, and they start reading about that, and they go, wow, Hinduism's amazing. Or they find the Vedas or the Upanishads, and they go, oh my god, this is so straight to the point and so obvious and so beautiful so now they've got some christianity they got a little jesus in them they got a little buddha in them they got a little um shankara in them they got a little uh shiva in them they've got a little shakti in them they, and so that's the modern stage where we start to realize that our own belief system is actually limiting us and that there's other people with ideas and ways of living that are more freeing and so they get naturally gravitated toward that and the next thing you know, they grow into the postmodern stage, which is unique because at the postmodern stage of consciousness, people are, have grown to the point where they realize they have to look at both sides of every idea or argument or belief, or they can get trapped by not seeing the whole picture. So people in the postmodern stage say, take something like COVID and say, okay, well, I'm not just going to watch television. I'm going to start scanning the internet for experts with different opinions. I'm going to find out what a virus is and how it really works. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to make a decision about whether I get a vaccine until I study what's in the vaccine, how it's made, who's making it, who's funding it, uh, what type of mechanism it has, what the best doctors in the world for it and the best doctors in the world against it say. And only when they've weighed the opinions on both sides will they ever make a choice but that's not convenient if you want to fly delta or go to your favorite restaurant no but it's also <laughs> not convenient if you die mm -hmm. yeah yeah or <laughs> or, your, or, or, your or, or just live a subpar lifestyle you know based, based on adjuvants which is, is a potential issue one thing that really came to mind for me as you were talking about these different patterns of of uh, of the the growth of human consciousness from the from the mythic to the magical and beyond in the concept of of no mouths being drawn, the idea of listening to nature. This is something that strikes home close to me right now because my boys, as I was telling you earlier, they're preparing for their their rite of passage into adulthood. You know, now that they're they're almost thirteen years old and they're going through a course called uh, Kamala, which was put together to for them by by Tim uh, Corcoran at, at Twenty Goals Wilderness School in Idaho. And it's it's a, an entire course built to connect uh, a young man or young woman to nature, and from bird language to reading trees to seeing signs of wildlife yes. to to reading the sun and the stars, mm -hmm. 
than the amount of listening I'm observing them yes. needing to do because it, it's, it's, you know, they, they have all the other things that they're studying as well. So it's not like their entire life is built around this course, but for about 20 to 30 minutes a day, they're, they're immersed in this workbook, primarily influenced by a lot of, of, uh, Native American trackers and, yes. and wildlife experts say. and bird language experts. That, that's who Tim primarily studied under, but the, the, uh, extent to which they are simply listening and observing is dramatic, and so, and I you know I, and and I think when it comes especially to nature immersion, shutting your mouth and listening is is one of the best ways to learn. So I'm going to take what you just said and show you why I'm writing my book. One of the reasons to be healthy psychologically and functionally in the world and achieve your potential as a human being. You have to transcend each level as you grow, but you must include it or you're unhealthy. So you have in Gebser's model, you have the archaic, the magic, the mythic, and the mental. Then you go into integral. We're a culture that's heavily trapped in the mental. So now I'm going to say to you, Ben, what are you going to think if I show up to do a hunt with you and I surprise you by bringing a friend of mine who's a stockbroker Mm-hmm. He's got no experience in the wilderness, and he comes out there, and all he wants to do is talk all the time. I hope he can cook because he can be back at camp. Exactly. Yeah. So what I'm showing you through this one simple analogy that fits exactly the way you live and know from personal experience, that if you do not have the ability to go back to the mythic level, then you do not have the ability to engage the mystery. So mm. you get trapped in scientific materialistic explanations, which are extremely limited compared to what you can get from mystics and quantum physicists, mm-hmm. etc. Or fact, biophilia, or just the sacred intelligence of plants, which, which is not rational or the logical The sacred at all. intelligence of plants comes from the mythic level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So see, I can feel the energy on a plant. I can mm-hmm. feel what's going on in a person's body by standing next to them. That's mm-hmm. the same skill a native would have used 25,000 years ago to survive and know which plants might kill it. That's right. how shaman knew how to make medicines. They talked mm-hmm. to the plants. That's mm-hmm. magic consciousness. They, they also listened to the plants. Well, you have to yeah. listen to talk or you're mm-hmm. not communicating. My point is, I talk to plants all the time and I teach it, and it's a deep listening skill. Mm-hmm. The talking is not verbal. It's mm-hmm. more akin to telepathy. But I can have a tree write a book for me. I'll be the mediator. The point I'm making is, is that if we get to the mental level where we're squarely at right now, but we lose touch with the archaic level, we don't understand the function of the earth itself. If we don't understand the magic level, we're disconnected from biology and it becomes nothing but objects, not living beings that we can just do whatever we want with. And science justifies it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If we miss the, myth- the the mythical level, then we don't realize the importance of worshiping the magic mystery and awe of life. And we don't, we lose our awareness that there are things about life that cannot be explained even with the most advanced science. So the natives had a sense of awe for the fact that no matter how much they knew, they knew there was a lot more they didn't know. And so a myth is an attempt to explain the unexplainable based on the experience that the wisest people in the tribe, such as shaman, could pass down to explain these things. So if someone gets to the mental level without the mythical level, they fall into the trap of thinking they actually know what's going on. Mm. They actually know what God is or isn't. They actually know how a tree breathes or how 
various species reproduce because they've looked at yeah. it under a microscope, but they forget that matter cannot organize itself. So they yeah. overlook the fact that what's moving through that is what they were worshiping in the mythic stage. Which is why I think the the, the mythic level, oh, that's a new term in my vernacular now as of the past 10 minutes, should be something that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this, even though I've just been doing it intuitively, intuitively. to a certain extent, woven into the core educational curriculum of a young human being yes and you That's know you're, you're a you're a 59 uh, year old father of a of what, a two-year-old a, a one and a half year old one and a half year old and, and a, a five-year-old so, so zoe and and mana your your one and a half year old daughter and yeah. your your four-year-olds four-year-old five, he'll, he'll, five, he'll be five this month five-year-old son uh, how are you incorporating this into the way that you're raising your own children how do you plan on educating your children just the way you're doing it well so they'll stay at home do you think? Absolutely. Unless mm -hmm. we can get him back to a Steiner school, but it's not looking mm -hmm. good. Uh, they Mana was in a Steiner school, mm -hmm. and Steiner educates people exactly based on the I was going to ask you what a Steiner school is. Well, it's at uh, Waldorf school. And so they Steiner knew how the brain and the psyche grew and developed, so he built the whole system so that it parallels what a child should learn in each stage of the development based on which brain hemisphere is functioning, how they integrate, mm. and the stages of consciousness that a mm -hmm. child naturally emerges through right. in any social situation. So the education is custom tailored. So there, for example, Steiner says you should not teach kids to read until they're at least seven to 10 years old because it pushes them into their left brain, shuts down mm -hmm. their right brain. And so they memorize. And once again, we enter the logical rational yes. before the mythic. Yes. And they, so yeah. they can't see wholeness anymore. Mm -hmm. So he, when kids are young, has them acting things out. They don't study mm. by rote. They take stories like we would call myths or plays that have an educational undertone to them. And then they each are assigned a role and they act that role out. And so they mm -hmm. learn from each other by the roles they play, what King George was doing or what the dragon was doing. That's why make-believe is so powerful. Yes. I remember, you know, I was homeschooled K through 12 and I would finish school by 11. And I remember, you know, that this is not PC anymore, but I'd, I'd pretend I was, I, I had a bow and an arrow and a spear and a dog. And I would, you know, from the time I was probably nine years old up until I was 13, I would go outside and, and play cowboys and Indians. Yes. And, and I would, I would, I would pretend I was just an Indian roaming the plains. I would shoot my bow at trees. I would literally by myself, just be inside my own head with my dog, you know, so running around the wilderness. That brings and up a key point. You were using your imagination. Now it's multiple choice questions. It's watching videos. Yeah, the screen, it's memorizing yeah. shit out of books and there's no room for imagination in there. It, we, we have this yes, no, but really the mind can work. Yes, no, maybe wrong question or something completely different, mm -hmm. right? So when you learn to use all these stages of consciousness as an integrated whole, you have a deep sense of connection to the earth and your intuition can guide you. When you have a deep sense of listening and an awareness that everything around you is alive, which would be classically called animism from a metaphysical perspective, then you realize that everything's animated by source or by spirit. Then when you get to the mythic level, you often see people realize that whatever God is, is in everything and everything in existence is an expression of the divine. So now you have polytheism. Then when you get to the mental level, 
you start seeing people think monotheism, it's all one God, mm -hmm. but then they forget that that one God also is the God of the people they don't like, and they start killing those people and claiming that they're religious. So you see the mental level, if you don't maintain connection to the lower levels, you start to destroy the earth, destroy your neighbors all in the name of God or in the name of 5G or in the name of a vaccination because you're not paying attention to how it impacts nor are you using those other levels of consciousness to evaluate what the technology is and what its effects are. You're only looking at it from a numerical, mathematical, logical, materialistic perspective, which is why we're the smartest, sickest, dumbest people we've ever been. We're smart and dumb. We're, we, we know all how to get to the moon, but we don't know how to eat. I'm sure all of you know that mushrooms have a wide range of amazing healing benefits, and they're talked about a lot in the news these days. There's a huge amount of research going on, and one of the companies that does a lot of research and produces excellent products, of course, is Symbiotica, and they have an amazing new organic longevity mushroom product. So Sherveen's here to explain to us exactly what we can expect from this amazing product. Sherveen, what have you guys got coming out for us? <laughs> this one's exciting because as you know, you know, me and my family, we've been hunting mushrooms in the forests of the Pacific Northwest and, you know, Northeast Canada for a long time. And medicinal mushrooms, the, the, the background of it being a Taoist immortal practice coming from ancient China. This is, um, this is something new. And this is the first time it's ever been done before. Nobody has ever made a liposomal mushroom complex ever in the history of supplementation, at least in this epoch. And what we got in this one is we got King Trumpet, Turkey Tail, Antrodia, Maitake, and the Queen Rishi mushrooms all blended together, all grown here in San Diego in an organic grow farm, certified organic. So nothing's coming from China and it's no offense to China, but there's a massive amounts of industrial pollution there and regulations there are really, really low. So this is this is safe for everyone, all ages. We use organic cacao extracts, and this is almost like a dessert. It's so delicious. The benefits, we all kind of know mushrooms. It's an adaptogenic herb. It helps your body adapt to the environments. They contain B vitamins, triterpenes, metabolites, you know, vitamin D, prebiotics. They all support a healthy immune system, nervous system. They lower systemic inflammation. And it's delicious. It's like a chocolate fudge dessert, and you can use it in any way you want, any application, straight from the bottle. You can put it on top of foods. You can put it on top of fruits. I mean, this one's going viral right now in so many ways, and uh, I'm really excited for everyone to try it. Well, head on over to symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A, and get your happy California-raised sunshine mushrooms with some high-end chocolate. And what a great way to start your day and know you're loving your body. On checkout, use your code, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15. That's check 15 for your 15% discount. And while you're there, check out all the amazing products at Symbiotica. You can't go wrong. What are you most excited about for mana? You know, there, there's all, you know, or, or Zoe, because there's lots of fear mongering. There's, there's lots of talk about screens and 5G and, and the horrible world that our children may grow up in, yeah. yet not a lot of positive talk about the things that, that we think that our children are capable of or that we're actually excited about for them. 
I'm well, both of my children's souls, because I didn't want to be a father again, so it was quite shocking when Mona came and it shocked me again when Zoe came, you know, because I was really looking forward to kind of winding down mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I'm, I'll be 60 this year, so it's, I've been around for a while. Uh, I've been in this business 37 years and worked very hard at it, so I'm like ready to retire and paint and smoke mm-hmm. pot all day and say, mm-hmm. fuck it. <laughs> God had a different plan. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's why they say if you want to make God laugh, tell him you got a plan. Mm-hmm. And so my retirement plan became a parenting plan, but um, but the joy and the bliss and the abundance and the heart opening that came with Mana just blew my mind. I mean, it was as powerful as a psychedelic just blew my heart chakra wide open. So, you know, because I didn't want to have kids, I thought, and Angie got pregnant two times. She had two miscarriages and she didn't know she was pregnant. You see, so we were doing a lot mm. of tobacco smoking and long intense saunas mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. that was, you know, very bad to do, but she didn't yeah. know she was pregnant. So after the second one, we, we said, okay, something's going on. And then she got pregnant again, and I was, we were monitoring her cycle. I'm like, this soul is, is absolutely insistent on being my mm-hmm. child. So I set up a ceremony and went into ceremony and uh, had my soul connect me to the soul of my child, um, who, whose name, uh, she, Mana was in his last lifetime, was from Taiwan. His name was Ba Huan. He was a woman. Hmm. Ba Huan means white flower. And interestingly, the day I did the ceremony with Angie, we had some profound experiences. Angie had just finished painting her yearly mandala when this happened. And she said to me while she was painting, I don't know why I'm painting this tree. And it's unlike hmm. anything she's ever painted, but she just said, I have to paint this. And she painted this beautiful tree, like a willow with gorgeous white flowers and gold hues in the bark. And I did the ceremony like five days later and when I met Mana's soul, I said, what is your name? And when she came to me, I, I actually, my soul took me to her and she was sitting in a grass hut on a dirt floor in a rocking mm. chair drinking tea. And she, I, I said, what is your name? She said, my name is Ba Juan. So when I got out of the ceremony, I said, Angie, look, use your com- computer and see if you can find a language translator. She said she's from Taiwan. So it must be a dialect of Chinese. Well, Ba Juan means white flower. So... I said, well, geez, let's see what the white flower looks like. So Angie types in white flower. That was day three of the annual white flower festival, which is their annual festival. It's the national flower of Taiwan. Wow. And it is exactly what Angie painted. The white flower tree to the T. It's like she took a photocopy in her mind of the white flower tree and And painted it. And this was before Mana was born? This was before Mana was born. And so... The point I'm driving at is I said to Bahuan, I said, you know, I don't want to be a dad again. You are making it impossible for me to have that freedom. And she was about a 70-year-old looking little Asian woman sitting in a rocking chair, and she smiled at me with this devilish little grin. She said, I've been watching you. She goes, I sit here and drink tea and go into meditation each day. And she says, I've been watching you for years. She says, what you teach is the truth and it's needed. She said, there are some very big changes coming to the earth and people like me are going to be needed. And then she began giving me Mm -hmm. visions. She said, I spent my whole life and many lifetimes as a farmer 
She said, I can drink tea from anywhere in the world and within seconds tell you exactly what's missing in the soil and what needs to be done. She knows, wow. she said, I'm an expert at farming and growing plants and the world is going to go through significant changes and there's going to be a big need for people with my knowledge. She said, I chose you, Angie and Penny, because the three of you will activate my knowledge. Hmm. And she said, and I want to learn to ski. And Penny's a ski instructor. <laughs> and I, like to, I want to fly in an airplane and Penny's a pilot. And I want to learn from Angie because she's a shaman. And so wow. she said, I chose you guys to reactivate my knowledge because the, I'm coming to the earth plane to help for what's and coming. Does Mana seem to express an interest in these, loves, these same type of things? He loves to garden. Yes. And he's fascinating. Yeah. Everything that she said he loves. And, um, then the same thing happened with Zoe and it, Zoe was, was another wild experience. So I did another ceremony and, and had my soul connect me to her soul her soul came to me. I met her in the astral plane and she was a beautiful Jewish woman. She showed up looking like about 35, long, dark hair, real pretty. And her name was Anna in her last life. And I said to her, Anna, why did you choose me as your father? Because I really didn't want to have kids anymore. And I got mana, but, but another kid, I'm like, what's going on? You guys seem relentless. She smiled. She said, well, I used to be Mana's husband three lifetimes ago. She said, I died in the Holocaust. I was gassed to death in one of Hitler's chambers, but I had almost starved to death when he killed me. Wow. And he said, she said, while I was dying, while I was going through this long, slow process of starving to death, I began to have a series of profound mystical experiences. And I met spiritual beings and came into contact with God and I learned how to open up dimensional portals using symbols and key words. And I'm coming to teach people that they are not trapped in their bodies because the earth is about to go through a lot of changes. A lot of people are going to be very scared and they're going to need people like me to teach them that they're not really stuck here. And she said, I will show you. And she began moving her arm in the open air and making sounds, and all of a sudden a wormhole opened up and geometric symbols started floating out of it. And she said, if you hold your intention of wanting to be anywhere, as soon as you step in there, you will arrive there instantly. And she said, that's what I learned while I was dying, and I, and I now feel obligated to come back and teach people that they are not stuck in the earth plane if they just learn what true spirituality is and what God really is, you'll they'll realize that God is very, very loving and that it's only their minds that are keeping them stuck there. And so she said, I chose you guys to reactivate my knowledge of who I really am and what I carry in me. And mm. because of who you three are, you have exactly what I need to reactivate. Will you, or, or do you plan on sharing these stories with, with Zoe? And of Anna? course. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I bought a bunch of books on Taiwan and some videos to show him so he can start remembering. And he actually has told me one time when he was about three and a half, we, I don't remember the exact wording, but the girls were driving in the car with Mana and they were talking about something. And all of a sudden he looked at them, he said, you know, I used to be a farmer. And they said, what do you mean? He said, before I came here, I was a farmer. 
And they were in shock because the girls knew the uh-huh. story. Cause yeah, obviously, but, but he didn't. He hadn't heard the he story. He didn't. He wasn't even wow. born yet. And he started telling them all about his life as a farmer. And unfortunately, it was a communist regime. And, and White Flower showed me that she lived in a, a very tough life. Um, the military, for some reason, lined up her whole family and shot them all in the head and mm. left her and forced her to manage the entire farm by herself. So she had acres and acres of rice mm. that she had to raise. And, and she showed me visions of them beating her and smacking her in the face with butts of guns and just torturing her. Um, and Mana is extremely rebellious to any kind of control. He is mm. not an easy kid to raise because he resists being told anything what to do. And having lectured in Russia... I've experienced what it's like when communist people get freedom. Mm-hmm. For example, when I lectured in Moscow, I asked everybody to turn off their phones and they started picking their phones up and talking on them. And I'm like, mm. what is going on? So I said to them, please turn off your phone. How are you going to understand anything? If I'm here to lecture to you and you're mm-hmm. in the class to learn, you can't listen to your phone. And so they got even more excited and talked even more. And my buddy, Rush Maxim, who's an Olympic mm-hmm. uh, world champion from the Russian Olympic weightlifting team, he's a buddy of mine. He was in the class and he stood up and he said to them in Russian, and, you know, communicate to them. And then they all put their phones down. I was going to say, maybe they just don't speak English that no, well. No, no. He said to me, Paul, because but- you're, you're asking them to put their phones away in a tone of voice like a command. Ah. And they hate being told what to do because we mm-hmm. just came from a communist regime. So they react by doing the opposite to prove to you that you can't control them. So I asked them to please put the phone away in a way that they would huh. appreciate. And then they put their phones away. So having already been through this experience of how people yeah. get I, w- I wonder how he phrased it. That's yeah, I, don't, I yeah. don't remember what he yeah. said, but he's mm. also world famous there. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, you know... Uh, Kobe Bryant walking right. into the room or something. So um, the kids told me why they're here. They both said the same things. And actually, uh, Zoe, who who at that time was Anna, and that's the name she had in her last life, showed me visions of her lifetime with Mana three lifetimes ago. They lived in India, and mm. Mana made these beautiful, you know, like. Buddhist scrolls where you roll them down mm-hmm. and hang them on the wall. He wrote scriptures on these beautiful handmade parchment papers. And then he attached wooden dowels to them and rolled them and sold them to people. And he had he did his own calligraphy. And hmm. she was his helper, partner. And they were like a husband and wife team. And I showed me they had a big wooden table like this. And he laid them out and he used uh, calligraphy ink. And he wrote scripture, key scriptures, and sold them to people, and that's wow. what they did for a living. Wow, that's amazing! You know, you you've mentioned probably twenty books so far since we've been talking. Well, you're, you're lucky; and, I and could mention. I know 200. you you could. <laughs> where we are literally surrounded by hundreds of books, in, thousands in your, actually, thousands in in your personal library. Good. I I think I have I have many people who I know who who listen to my show. I'm I'm sure you also on yours who who love education, love books, just the, just the nature of these, you know, these long deep dive podcasts. Yeah. Do you have a, a certain uh, habit that you use to be able to digest books yes. at, such a, at such a rapid pace that you digest them and keep track of the information because you recite it so readily? 
Well, I, I'm not nearly as good as I used to be because I reached a certain point of um, mental fatigue because I used to be like you. I used to remember all the hormone pathways and mm -hmm. I had, it's not a natural way. I hated reading when I was a kid. I failed mm. reading in the third grade. It surprises me. I never read a book cover to cover till I was 21. The first book I ever read in my life was Nutrition, A Holistic Approach by Rudolph Ballantyne, MD. Mm -hmm. It was the only one that could hold my attention. I'd read Playboy before that, but that was about <laughs> it. Um, and I read Hot Rod magazines because mm -hmm. I was into racing and building engines. But um, reading's always been very hard for me. I'm much more of a right brain person. Hmm. And so I developed, that would surprise a lot of people. I yeah, think. I developed a skill by practicing and practicing. And there was a period in my life where I used to read quite often eight or 10 hours a day on the weekends. And sometimes I would read till two in the morning on every other day. And I'd read till midnight after work at night because this is when I was younger and I was mm -hmm. developing my, my, my skills and my, my career. But I put a tremendous amount of effort into remembering. I mean, I used to, you know, I've taught anatomy all over the world. I could tell you, you know, every muscle, joint, ligament, nerve pathway, meridian, all of that was just right lasered into my mind because I really realized that for me to accomplish my objective in my career, I had to be able to interface with the uh, and, and the best way to learn is to teach. Yeah, I had yeah. to interface with the medical community. And, you know, if you go to a doctor and you say pronation or something, they look at mm -hmm. you like you're an idiot. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I've got like 35 different dictionaries. I studied dictionaries. I worked really hard. But by the time I was about 45, I just felt like, I looked at how much energy it took me to constantly pack all that in and memorize it. And, mm -hmm. and I realized how exhausting it was and how it was taking me away from the essence of things. And I, having done energy healing for a long, long time in my life and meditation, I realized that I actually have enough knowledge that if I just use my innate skills for reading energy and sensing what's going on and working with spirit that I always get to the issue, but I don't have to remember all that. So I found that I had developed enough knowledge that it was actually better for me to not try so hard to develop intellectual knowledge because it was stopping me from having the time to do my spiritual work. And I found that by growing myself spiritually, that spirit would guide me to exactly what I needed to know and has helped me figure out a million things and, and just showed me that, um, that my time was better spent practicing being in stillness and no mind and learning to listen to the environment, listen to the stones, the trees, the plants, the bodies of the people I'm working with, the feelings of people instead of just the words. And so I begin to relax it and just trust my soul to guide me to what I needed to read but you still read a massive amount. Oh, I do. Yeah. Uh, I, I read about- You showed me the pile of books yeah, next to your reading chair waiting to be read. Yeah, I read between uh, an hour and three hours a day. In the which, morning? Yeah, early in the morning. And it's all research reading mm -hmm. for projects. Mm -hmm. um, and some of it's spiritual reading. That How do you take your, your notes in the books? Well, the method that I use, actually, I learned from studying Brian Tracy's work probably 30 years ago 
and it's called the OPIR method. Are you familiar with that? No. OPIR is an acronym, overview. So first what you do is you look at the description of the book on the back of the book. You flip through it. You look to see if there's any interesting diagrams. You look at the names of the chapters and the contents and see, is there anything that's captivating to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the table of con- index to see if there's keywords. Like for me, I'm always looking for soul, spirit, consciousness. Yeah. I could see you looking at the table of contents of my book. Yes, yeah. because then I know roughly what's in the book very yeah. quickly, right? Um, so overview, preview means read uh, things like the introduction or chapter summaries or things that give you an encapsulation. And then uh, overview, preview, in view means to read the whole book if you think it's interesting enough and it's worth your time. And then review is you come back and read the parts that are important for you to remember because they're something that you're using in a functional way. And so I also have a system of highlighting where um, I use a red underline to mean important. I use a double red underline to mean more important. I use a double red underline with yellow highlighter to mean if you're in a hurry, look right here. And then if there's... And to know that a page has been highlighted, do you fold over that page or do you have a a mark that you put in it, like a bookmark? Well, no, because I... Or a sticky. What I do is... I keep a f- note in the margin on the page. Right. So so if you're flipping through the page, uh, uh, left to right, flipping through the page, yes. you can see on the left side of that page well, I or can, the right side for a right-sided page what's written in the margin. let's say this is a, uh, something about um, biodynamic farming. Right. And it's a key point, maybe how to make uh, biodynamic 505 uh, homeopathic. I would put here biodynamic 505 homeopathic, and then I would take the page number 90 and I list it in the front cover oh. and I keep going. So when yeah. I pick up the book, I can look at it and I have my own table of contents based on what's important. Oh, to that's me. smart. I like that. Yeah. You'll I see like that, that in all my mm. books. So uh, in a few seconds, I can spot it. And then if there's more than will fit in there, I use sticky pages and some of my books are loaded with like 40 sticky Yeah, pages. I noticed that. Yeah, coming coming up out of the actual pages, yeah. these little sticky notes, yeah. which is something I have yet to do. I got in the habit of folding, and so most of my books are very worn because all the pages yeah. where there's something important highlighted are folded over. But it's, you know, well, there, there's a couple of things. A, that concept of taking the most important elements of the book comes in very handy if yeah. you do have children. Yeah. Because like I was telling you, I select the book from my bookshelf each week and give it to my boys. They each get their own book to yeah. to read and produce a one to two page book report on mm-hmm. by the end of the week. But if I hand them a pretty massive tome, you know, some 400 page book, yeah. you know, like they're reading one on the, the Marma points of Ayurveda You mean like right your now. last book? <laughs> or like Boundless. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't made them read that. Um, they can that would be too much. <laughs> flip to the pages that are folded over, yeah. see what dad has highlighted. Because when I read books now, I think about reading not only through my own eyes, but through the eyes of my boys. And even though each unique individual is going to find what speaks to them, I almost feel like I can filter to a certain extent what I consider to be some really important elements yeah. that they should pay attention to. So that, that's that been useful for me. And then 
probably a habit in the past two years that I've really given myself permission to adopt is quitting a book, stopping yeah. a book for the longest time. And, and, you know, I, I've, I've always been a little bit resistant to watching movies because I'm wired in such a way that even if the movie sucks, I want to see how it finishes. I yeah. want to see how the story finishes. Yeah. Thank God for the internet now, because I'll literally just, if I start a movie and it sucks, I will go and in five minutes, read the spoiler of yeah. the movie just so I kind of know what happened. But with books, I probably quit 50% of the books that I read now. So yeah, and, and sometimes it'll be the preview and you get halfway through a book and I don't know about you, but sometimes you'll notice that an author in the last half of the book is just using filler material. Yeah, oh yeah. They wrote half books. the book and then yeah. they're like, what do I do with the other yeah. 150 pages yeah, I've been contracted to write or the, fit the word or count the publisher yeah. is, is paying me royalty to write. Yeah. And so a lot of times you'll find that the first half or so of the book is excellent and I've just given myself permission to, to quit the book once it starts to become stale or i feel as though i've, I've harnessed as much knowledge out yeah. of it as i'm going to get I, I which is which is a, also why the preview is important yeah you, you I, must previously I have know what's a, coming. another level to my system i haven't told you about but um before i buy a book i always ask my soul is this book worth buying is it useful to us mm -hmm. if i get a no no matter how good it looks i don't buy it because yeah. i've bought a lot of books that looked interesting by reading the covers and turned out to be $2 worth of useful information and $38 worth of shit. Yep. So the first thing I do is ask my soul, should I buy it? Then when I, I, I buy a lot of books, I probably, I don't know how many thousands of dollars I spend. Obviously I got a half a million dollars. Of thousands of dollars is nothing for that level of knowledge. Right. It's nothing. So it's worth millions. You know, you saw there's about 50 books sitting by my chair mm -hmm. and I know what I'm working on in my new book. So I know what the key chapters are going to be. I already have the outline in my head. Um, so what I'll do is I'll just act, ask my soul, is, is there one of these books that you would like me to read based on my studies of, say, consciousness this morning? And if I get a yes, then I'll say, is it here? Mm -hmm. And if I get a yes, I'll just relax and say, show me which book it is. And my soul moves my eyes and it mm. focuses on that book. So I pick mm -hmm. it up and say, is it this one? Yes. And then I hold it to my heart and mm. say, tell me when you know what you want me to read. And I can feel my soul scanning the whole book in a few seconds. My soul will read the whole book. And then I'll get a yes and I'll say, okay, uh, I'll go to the first page of the table of contents and say, okay, is the chapter you want me to read on this page? No. Mm -hmm. Is it on this page? No. Is it on this page? Yes. And then I just say, take, show me which one in my eye. I relax my eyes and all of a sudden my fo soul focuses on page 234 union chapter 10. And so I confirm you want me to read chapter 10 union. Yes. That reminds me of the intuitive eating that we talked yes. about last time as your nutritional protocol, intuitive yeah. reading. I like that. The, the other thing that, that I do quite a bit of is I use book, really good book summary websites. Yeah, that's a like, good idea. Like, you know, for books that I, that I know I really want to get the core message out of because perhaps it's a book that whatever everyone is talking about. And so I yeah. need to be somewhat informed on it, but don't have time to read the entire yeah. thing or it's mildly interesting, but I, I have to pick my battles when it comes to books. I'll use yeah. a, a, uh, Optimize is one website. Oh, that's cool. Mostly philosophy books that's and self-improvement books. Wonderful PDF Optimize. or downloadable audio. Optimize. So yeah, there, there's a few sources I use. One is Optimize. One is Blinkist. I use that mm -hmm. one. Blinkist is okay. Uh, one is Thinker, spelled without an E, T-H-I-N-K-R. These are the five sources I use. I, I can usually find just about any decent book summary because I've vetted a lot of book summary websites. The last two are uh, James Clear. 
he is an author who also does excellent book summaries and ratings. And the last guy is Derek Sivers, S-I-V-E-R-S. And those are those are the five sources that I use to typically on top of the the anywhere from five to eight books per month that I'm actually reading to yeah. get through another 20 to 30 or so on a monthly basis just by taking 10, 15 minutes to go through the entire book summary. What I used to do is, uh, you know, Cliff's, you ever heard of Cliff's Notes? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I used to go check the Cliff's Notes. college student's best friend. Yeah. So yeah. I would buy the Cliff's Notes for any of the subject matters I could find in any of the Cliff's Notes books or university courses. So, for example, I have on the nervous system or the hormonal system, I've got these Cliff Notes type summary books, or I've got, um, you know, neuroanatomy made easy I found for me that what was most important and has been is anytime I enter a new field of study, always to study the best books on the basics. People tend to want to get too fancy-dancy, and if you don't have the basic underpinning, you don't understand the meanings of the words, the, the structure of the belief system or the concept, then you can actually delude yourself into thinking you know what you're doing. And I've seen that a million times in my students and in doctors and therapists I've worked with all over the world that they they actually have what can be dangerous knowledge. They might, for example, know all about how cortisone cream works, but have no understanding of why their cortisol levels are high and how diet, lifestyle, and mental emotional stress can raise that up. So they they deal with all the technical hormones, but they never ask, well, how did it get that way in the first place? So for me, I was like, I have to understand the basics of psychology. I got to understand the basics of physiology. I got to understand endocrinology. I got to understand psychoneuroimmunology. So for me, as a holistic health practitioner, I've spent my whole life studying not only the key systems of the body, not only psychic, but physical, but how do they interact with each other? You know, mm-hmm. how, how does a, the hormone system affect your mood, your emotions, or or how does it affect your athletic performance or your recoverability or your sex drive? And and so I'm always looking at, you know, to me, life is like a spider web. You can't pull on any part of a spider web without affecting the whole web. Right. So if someone raises your testosterone, it's going to affect your estrogen. It's going to affect your sexual performance, the moisture of your tissues, how mm. many times you blink your eyes, dot, dot, dot. So I'm always looking, how does the web work? What happens if you pull on it over here at the hormonal system? What happens if you stretch it too hard or work it too hard on the musculoskeletal? What happens if you're depressed or you're going through a divorce or you just lost your job or you're eating junk food or you're toxic because you got heavy metal poisoning? So my life has really been about looking at how the dominoes connect together. And so my, my work really it took me a lot of years, probably 20 years of studying the basics of all those systems so that if I had to go into the advanced level training, that I had a foundation so I could understand what an endocrinologist was, was talking about or what yeah. a neurologist was talking about. Which is why it's important to be well-read because each of those books is a thread in the spider web. By it reading is. one book, you'll get one thread, but very few authors uh, you know, will, will write a comprehensive analysis of all the components that affect the endocrine system, especially in the, you know, the health and fitness and nutrition yeah. industry. Each person has a relatively myopic viewpoint. And you know, in the... In the the little bit of time that we have left, uh, this this these discussions always go by so quickly. I don't even know how long um, I've been talking. I've got I've got about <laughs> got I've got about ten minutes. Okay. Um, I, I I wanted to ask you because we do have a lot of people 
who are listening to us who are very interested and in some cases accomplished in in the realm of, of health and fitness and so-called health professionals who listen in you know people like me you you are someone who has seen a lot in this industry mm-hmm. you've talked to a lot of you know guys and, and girls like me who are you know the the young up and comers? There's or nobody people. like you, Ben. Well, there's no yeah. We're <laughs> I've all, only we're talked all, to we're one all, Ben Greenfield. We're all snowflakes. But yeah. what what piece of advice would you give to you know to to people like me who who are kind of like in that phase where we've we've gathered some knowledge, we're helping people, mm-hmm. but we want to continue to make deep impact in people's lives. You know, when, when you, when you look around you at, you know, cause I know you've interviewed, you know, many, you know, let's say like 20 to 40 year old, you know, professionals in the health industry, podcast with many of them. What, what would you say when it comes to, to, to ways that we can grow or a mindset that we can go, we can use going forward to really make maximum impact? A bit of a selfish question really, but I'm just well, curious what, what, what you see in a guy like me that, that you think would be a piece of sage advice going forward. Uh, for me, having learned this through a lot of life experience is is really simple. There's an old saying, the longest journey you'll ever take is only a foot long. It's from your head to your heart. And as I grew spiritually, I realized my head was an ineffective compass. It's too easily distracted. It's too easily tricked by what looks like scientific jargon. And lo and behold, I've been in this career for 37 years, and what was a scientific fact yesterday is just flat out wrong today, yet 20 years ago, I thought for sure I was right, and it's a miracle Mm -hmm. that people got better because now I know scientifically what I was doing wasn't working. It was just my my love for the person. It was my enthusiasm. It was my intention Mm. to help them heal. So in other words, I was healing them through psychic means more than I was biochemical means because based on today's science, what I was doing shouldn't have worked right? So if science is right today, then what I was doing then was wrong, but somehow people were getting better a lot faster with me than other people because it was just less wrong than they were. But the point that I'm making is as I've grown and I've grown deeper spiritually and and worked more and more with my soul in the last 20 years, I found that one, the things that I remember most as knowledge are the things that I was passionate about because I was doing it because it was genuinely an interest of mine, not something mm-hmm. I thought I had to do to make money or somebody else wanted me to do. What you thought the test. world expected you to be. Right. Yeah. So I studied things for me that the most important thing was, will this knowledge help me help people versus just make me a smart guy. And when I found that I could help people, then it was important to me to really be present with the material. So I attached the emotion of positive feelings of this is one day going to help one or more people heal. And I found that my memory recall directly links to the things that I had a passionate reason for a positive application in the world versus just studying or uh, learning to learn or, or trying to f- prove to myself and everybody else I'm a smart guy. Um, then I always found that if I'm actually listening to my heart, you know, like I'm writing the book I'm about to write because 
I have a very profound and strong sense of pressure in me that's been building for the last several years that it is very important for me to take as much of the things I've learned about why we're really here, what life's all about, and how to navigate it. Because I've demonstrated to myself thousands of times that when I let my soul guide me, my whole life is not only better, but I navigate minefields like financial stress, COVID, business challenges, in ways that I never could do with my head leading my way. So my advice is, is, you know, for example, I teach people how to do soul connection in my primal pattern eating course. So if you learn that basic technology and start practicing it and asking, should I read this book? Should I buy this book? Should I take this job? What color socks should I wear today? Which food is, you know, you're standing at the supermarket and there's all sorts of food in front of you. What does my inner self say? You know, I want Oreo cookies, but my soul's dragging me over to the salmon counter. I should listen to that. And when I teach people how to feel how their soul influences them, a lot of them go, oh my God, I've been feeling that my whole life and I didn't know what it was. I've been ignoring it. I'm like, yeah, that's God trying to guide you so you can do what you came here to do. So really, it's, it's a matter of really checking in with yourself and using yourself as though you're a living instrument. And when the needle has that sense of yes, that sense of ah, you know, when, Ben, when you're hearing the truth, do you know it in your head or do you know it with your whole body? Mm, whole body. Your whole body. Yeah. And when your heart tells you that's the direction to go in, you know it with your whole body because your heart is the center of your chakra system. It integrates the upper and lower chakras and it is the vital organ that connects us to the feeling of love. And ultimately love is the most powerful force of life and wisdom and intimacy and connection there is. So I find that the more I let love guide me, i.e. soul, with the intention of sharing love and bringing love, knowing that I'm going to die one day and all I can take with me is what I've become, then I orient my life around how can I give the best of myself in any situation so that when I die and have to come face to face with myself, I can feel good about the life I've lived and know that I didn't just try to prove things to people, be a smart ass, make lots of money. I really tried to leave the garden a little better than how I found it. And so that's my guiding principle. Yeah. You know, uh, a repeated theme of our discussion today, I think, has been listening, just shut, shutting your mouth, shutting off the logical, rational brain, listening to yourself, listening to the universe, mm -hmm. listening to sacred intelligence. And um, Paul, as usual, your enthusiasm is infectious. That's why you're a good teacher. Your enthusiasm is amazing. Well, and you, I am, uh, I am, uh, I'm honored to have had this discussion with you. Thank you. I, I love visiting yeah. you. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get into your book and I didn't realize we were out of time. So we'll have to get together. But Ben has a beautiful book for my listeners called Fit Souls, Tool Tactics and Habits for Optimizing Spiritual Fitness. It's got a beautiful cover with like a, what is that, a what kind of shield is that? Norse that, or something? That that is, that is a knight adorned with a with a with a cross. In right. The, uh, a the knight elements shield. of the of the uh, the armor of and the a spirit. Big sword, and it's got a lot of great 
topics in the chapter. I told you already, chapter 10, Union, but it's fit for detachment. The Breakfast Plate of Presence, Don't Let Old Friends Die, Time and Trust, Make Every Moment Count, The Hidden Epidemic, Be a Man, How to Find Your Purpose in Life, You're Not the Hero, (laughs) You Might Be, (laughs) The Four Spiritual Disciplines I Practice, and a lot more. You've just taken care of the O of the au pair for people. We, Give him the overview. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and and it's also got, what I love about it too, is he's got key points written in another color of ink, which is lovely. Yes, that's what you get to do when you self-publish a book, is yeah. you can do the funny things that a publisher won't allow you to do. So, so anyhow, look yeah. it up. Uh, fit fit Soul, Tools yeah. and Tactics and Habits for Optimizing it's Spiritual. Fr- it's, it's free. It's a is free it? book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted, I just wanted to make a difference in the world with that book. So you can download it See, there for, you go. for free. You just go to fitsoulbook.com and give it free. Uh, and then if you want the print copy, I all I did was charge just enough so that I can pay to print it yeah. and, and ship it. So I don't make any money off that mm-hmm. book. That thing's just, I just wanted to, to get a message out to the world. Well, so, I, I'm just glad yeah. I could share. Um, maybe another time we can talk about some of the themes of the chapters. And, and Well, uh, as usual, I feel as though... Um, this won't be the last time we talk. I hope so. not. <laughs> I got more rocks to lift with you, baby. That's right, baby. All right, folks. Well, I will put the the show notes on 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 my end at bengreenfieldfitness.com slash Ben and Paul for any of you who want to dive into all the books and resources and my, my previous discussions with Paul. We've had many, probably six or seven at this point. Yeah. And uh, as usual, Paul, it's an honor. Love you, buddy. Thank you, man. I'm really Thank you. proud of you and how you're raising your kids and how you're managing yourself. And it's... Uh, I'm glad to see the example you're sharing with people. So lots of love. Love you, man. Uh Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Ben Greenfield. You can find Ben online at bengreenfieldfitness.com. And for consultations and coaching, visit his website, bengreenfieldcoaching.com. Shop at Keon for Ben's signature products, such as Keon Coffee, Keon Aminos, and Keon Immune by going to bit.ly forward slash Keon L4D. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash K-I-O-N capital L, the number four, capital D. And be sure to check out Ben's latest book, Boundless, at boundlessbook.com. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to check videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. 